what I was best equipped with was more like not specific goals, but sort of guiding principles. So I sort of knew the guardrails of where I wanted to go, but I knew I wanted to make a difference. I knew my life mattered. I knew that pretty much anything that I was going to do was going to make I me. Mean, that sounds cliche, but I sort of had a very strong confidence in that. Without a clearly defined path to follow, Mark Francois Bradley relied more on a few guiding principles to lead his life. He sought to make a difference and expect good outcomes. When unexpected events came his way, he wasn't derailed, but rather used the opportunities to recenter his priorities. Find out how setting your guardrails sometimes provides all the structure you need on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today I'm here with Mark Francois Bradley, and we are going to talk about starting things and the seeds from which they start being sometimes mysterious. So thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So I ask our guests the same two questions at the top of each show, and they are these. When we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? All right. Well, I've I've had the luxury, like many of your other guests, to think think a little bit ahead of time. And actually, it took a little bit of reflection. But I think that, you know, when I came to Dartmouth, I was probably a little bit I may have been a little more accidental a student than some of my peers or some of our peers. I mean, I look back and I'm absolutely thrilled with Dartmouth and love Dartmouth and wish Dartmouth on any student. But at the time, I sort of thought of Dartmouth as sort of one of many other options. And uh, and I was just very quickly just loved the place, made friends really quickly. I was a local uh, so I was sort of from the local community. That's maybe partly why I was accidental. I hadn't like grown up dreaming of staying in town. It was sort of just like that. Unsure what I was going to study. You know, I, I ended up studying engineering, which I loved, but I, I didn't have that as a goal, just uh, arriving as a student. I was a hockey player. I hadn't been recruited, but I thought I had a shot if I worked really hard at it. Did you play all four years? Uh, no, I well, I played JV for uh, two years. At the time, there was a JV program, and I gave it my all, and I, I think I came close to being asked to play one level up, but um, by then I was very seriously dating my now wife, and I sort of felt like the the risk reward was slipping away from me, <laughs> <laughs> and that I probably would enjoy myself more, and it's maybe a better use of my time to to see her. We were, we were dating long distance. Uh, she was a Cornell student, so leaving for a weekend to visit was. It wasn't something I could do at the same time as pursuing the the hockey dream. So as a hockey player, I came from a bilingual family and sort of from a blue collar working town. So it was really nice to find a whole world that appreciated another culture. And so that's sort of who I was. I was new to my Christian faith. So I was really excited to meet others who, you know, were inquisitive in that area and wanted to learn and grow in that area. And so I think between those things, um, for three years at Dartmouth, I was dating my now wife. So, that, you know, so between dating long distance, trying to play hockey, sort of a new faith, uh, lots of friends, and then studies, you know, it made for a very busy and, and very fulfilling period of my life. Full life. And engineering itself kind of gives you a lot of breadth in the kinds of things that you're doing. And so... I think I know where you ended up as you were leaving, but where did you think you would long-term end up? Well, I think I, I, you know, I've given, I think that's actually the harder question to look back on. And I think that 
in my case, I didn't have a very singular objective. I wasn't someone who said, I'm going to be an attorney or I'm going to be a doctor. Uh, I knew I wasn't interested in my, you know, my, my father was a professor and I, I knew I wasn't you know, someone who wanted to teach things. And so, you know, as I look at it, I, I knew that most of my classmates either continued engineering or they went into sort of consulting. And so that sort of felt like a better fit. I loved problem solving, kind of liked the idea of maybe, you know, being in a, in a city and experiencing things I hadn't had experienced before. I think that probably as I reflect back, what I was best equipped with was more like um, not specific goals, but sort of guiding principles. So I sort of knew the guardrails of where I wanted to go, right? I knew I wanted to make a difference. I knew my life mattered. I knew that pretty much anything I was going to do was going to make, I mean, that sounds cliche, but I, I sort of had a very strong confidence in that. Of course, I was at the time engaged to be married, so I knew that was part of my identity. But in terms of, you know, what would I end up doing or uh, that sort of thing, it was really more of an, an outlook, just being confident, being enthusiastic. And so you did take the consulting route first thing off out of college, yeah? I did, although if, 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 you, <laughs> if you look back as sort of a historian, in reality, consulting for most of us meant that we were going to be programmers. You know, it was a time where I think, at least my recollection is that the computer science sort of field of study wasn't nearly as popular. My recollection is that there was a fairly small number. And this was the time when, you know, Anderson Consulting had a facility in St. Charles, Illinois, where you went there to learn to be a consultant, but really you were learning to be a programmer. Um, And so I don't know, I kind of look back a little bit with the wink and kind of feel like a lot of us were sort of fooled. It it worked out great for me. I, I I love programming uh, and I'm, you know, I, I didn't become a long-term programmer, but that was sort of the, the foundation for a lot of that. And so, yeah, I, I went, you know, what was the consulting route and uh, I didn't go to St. Charles, uh, Illinois to the Anderson. I wasn't picked to be an Anderson consultant, but I went to Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> Which, being from New England, I felt was, uh, you know, le- less exciting than going to Chicago but did some formation and programming and um, then went off to Minneapolis, which was really where I knew I was going to sort of make my home for the first first few years. My fiance at the time had, uh, you know, we had kind of lined up, well, what cities would make sense to live in? Again, back to the sort of guardrails, right? Like, well, these four cities would all be cool. So let's, let's pursue things in these four cities. And Minneapolis was one of them. I had a few of our classmates spoke very highly of Minneapolis. Michelle Erickson then was a woman on the hockey team and uh she always spoke really highly of it so that's somehow landed on our on our map and that's how we ended up there and so there were a couple of consulting years coding years learning to Mm -hmm. solve problems in a specific way but then a problem arose and you took a different tack so that's right that's right well, so uh, I had been at it for uh, for a while, and I, you know, really quite liking what I was doing. And I, you know, from a, a career perspective, I suppose progressing nicely and, and getting new new responsibilities and being appreciated for what I did, and and uh, getting to think about bigger problems and 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 that sort of thing. And uh, by that point, my wife had decided and was in medical school at the University of Minnesota, and I was working at Target stores in a variety of roles. When Target was getting big and being cool and 
Because that was their headquarters, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I, I, I never thought of retail as cool until I worked there. <laughs> and then I, periodically people would say nice things about Target opening a store in their area. But in any, in any event, we were expecting our first uh, child and she was born super early. She was born um, at uh, 28 weeks and one pound, 12 ounces. So oh. very, very small, like as small as a little, as a squirrel really. Oh. You know, my wedding band would have fit around her leg. But in any event, um, that was that was maybe one of the hardest periods in my life, at least as I look back. She was in the hospital for almost uh, two months. And, you know, it was a first child. And my wife was in medical school. I was still working. And we're trying to get to the hospital to visit her. And, and uh, you know, oftentimes in the, in the neonatal intensive care unit, you sort of take two steps forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's mm-hmm. true for a lot of healthcare, but um, so it's a stressful period. And at its conclusion, I started really being frustrated with how much time we were spending trying to uh, make appointments with doctors and make follow-up. She's totally healthy. She's she's a Dartmouth class of 2025 now. Ah, congratulations (laughs) to her. Yay. Sophomore summer. Um, So, uh, you know, but in any event, uh, at the time, there were lots of medical appointments, lots of challenges, and it led me to sort of start thinking about trying to solve that problem, figure out how to help patients make their own appointments online and not have to wait on the phone. And, and uh, you know, what started as sort of an idea and a curiosity, I was also in business school at the time. I, you know, sort of used that hat, that business school hat to call people and say, hey, so tell me, I'm a student, I'm trying to understand this, you know, mm. talk to me. And, you know, start starting to understand that while the path was difficult, there there probably was, you know, a way to, to address that. Now, bear in mind today, I think we think of online scheduling as probably something we've all done for healthcare. But really only recently. Only, only well, yeah, only recently. And even so in many cases, it's still not possible. But this is almost, uh, you know, this is now we're talking about uh, 2003 timeframe and yeah, uh, or wow. 2002. So that was, that was sort of became a, an, an impetus for me to start thinking about like, maybe, maybe I could do something. I pulled together, you know, I had, I had a very big network, but at that point I was not a programmer, <laughs> but I had, a, I had a lot of friends who were programmers. And so we started kind of working on a concept for, for making this work and uh, started, you know, looking for some, some money. I, I did not come from a wealthy family that had all the connections. So who, who knows what it could have been if I had, oh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I had to work real hard to, to get that first $30,000 check from someone who said, okay, I believe in your idea. Go, go try to do something. And, and uh, that was super validating. But so this was a turning point for me at the same time, my wife was in medical school, hadn't picked a specialty. This intern also, you know, it's worth noting was a pivotal sort of moment where she decided mm. to, to, uh, pursue obstetrics and gynecology. So this, this experience of having, you know, uh, unexpected daughter born that early, uh, really sort of put me down this different path. And ultimately I decided that I couldn't do all three things, be, you know, be the dad I wanted to be and the husband of a medical student and (laughs) soon to be resident uh, and pursue a startup and, and do my business school degree. So I ended up leaving Target and dropping the, the MBA program. So I'm really a half MBA if that is anything at all. (laughs) (laughs) And I really just worked for several years on the concept, had to retool. This conversation isn't just about that work, but the point is, is, you know, there were the the normal 
fits and starts of a startup and the normal setbacks, I think the normal, the common, what started from that, that experience, you know, turned into something that's I'm still working on today. So I'm, you know, still very happily tackling the dragons of challenges patients have with healthcare and trying to figure out how to do things better, mainly in ophthalmology, but, but still. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just a great, of course, there's this off the wall, unexpected impetus for it, but it really does bring together so much of who you are and were, you know, the coding part. Yeah, you weren't a programmer then, but you knew enough about it and you had friends that were doing it or could come in and help. You had the business side, even though you didn't finish the MBA, you still kind of had that inquisitive side and had it, had had enough of the time in industry or in retail that you got that and you had this user experience of this really sucked and <laughs> you know when you put it all together that is the usually that's the sign of a good entrepreneurial beginning and then to be able to then parlay that into now 20 plus years of that that's the staying power is the probably the non-typical part i think I, that, that's probably right but i think that i think the former part is very much and it goes back to this idea of you know not knowing exactly what you're going to do but knowing you you're well equipped and, and you know not only well equipped in terms of skill and experience and intelligence and connections but also again going back to this idea of you know sort of knowing knowing what you want to live for, even if it's not a specific definition of like a, a particular role or a particular profession, but just sort of, you know, the, this idea of, well, what kind of a person do you want to be? And, you know, living with a purpose. Uh, I, I yeah. think that does a lot to sort of help one decide, you know, well, I can't be an MBA and an entrepreneur and a good dad, right? So what am I going to pick? What what are my guardrails, you know? And uh, yeah, but even the the entrepreneurial lifestyle, like that requires a lot of other guardrails, like more specific ones, because mm -hmm. that can be all consuming. And I think you're right in saying that if I know kind of the life I'm after, or those values that I'm after, like making sure that that's coming first, and prioritizing the family part, you know, that you needed to have told yourself that pretty early in the game. I think so. I think so. I mean, there have been times where I've seen others who, you know, maybe by some measures have accomplished far more, but I also know that that's come at a price in that same sort of trade-off circle, you know, of different things to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that, you know, been married, married for 25 years now, still love my wife very much, you know, good marriage. My, my daughters are, both doing great. We're empty nesters this year for the first year. So that's been ah, kind of fun. <laughs> that's a lot. So wait, so you have your oldest is a sophomore? My oldest is rough. It's, but it's actually a little bit of a joke here because she will be doing her sophomore summer. So she's a she's a sophomore through uh through uh this fall, but my youngest daughter is a freshman finishing our freshman year next week. So technically they're going to both be sophomores for a little bit, I think. You could make so that you argument. had another <laughs> child on the heels of this kind of very disruptive, very scary, kind of traumatic medical experience while your wife is a resident and you're starting a business. I think there might have been a little bit of a sense that we had a window if we wanted to have another kid. It was kind of like, now or they're going to be like five years younger than their sibling with with residency looming if we think about it too long we'll never do it yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay <laughs> okay maybe, I see. Maybe, maybe that but i think just a sense of i think we actually i think that we may have 
I could be wrong here. I, I would I would fact check with my wife, but we may have even been encouraged to have another child for the benefit of sort of the developmental delays that you know our our first daughter had initially, and, and you know having having a peer at home. It's possible. That, like I said, that maybe. just seems like a lot to undertake. My goodness, I think you have to have the guardrails at that point, or you, or you let you were completely off the rails well, when you when you I, thought I, about we that were one. Very, we were very fortunate. I'll say that. I was told that it, having two kids was one plus one equals 11. And in our case, it really was like just one plus one is, I mean, they, they, they sort of, I, I would be the argument for, you know what, you do them in a batch. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, good. they probably trained together. They were thinking about college applications together. So, I mean, there's just a lot of. Right, right. And now you do have this empty nest uh, kind of semblance of that. And you have another chapter ahead of you. So you've kept this business going in various forms with various kinds of partners and and implementing it different ways. Where do you see, I know the unplanned seems to work well for you, but where do you see the next chapter taking you? that's That's a difficult question. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I love what I'm doing right now. I can see doing this. I, well, I, let me say this. My father is 87 and my mother is 84. And like they still worked till a year or two ago because they were doing stuff they loved. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, I currently do. I mean, I'm very active uh, outdoors. i do a ton of mountain biking. I race my bike. I'm a coach. I do a lot of really cool things. So I'm not one who's in a, and, and I really like the work I do. So I'm not really one who is in a hurry to say I'm going to retire. Right? right. And so I think that, I think that, you know, as long as, you know, we're healthy and we're, we're able to find ways to make, continue making a difference, it, it could be in any different way. But so I'm, for the short term, I think it'll continue to be the sort of thing I'm doing now, but I can't, yeah, I guess yeah. it's not altogether different from the answer out of leaving Dartmouth that I feel equipped. I feel like I have a purpose. I'm not exactly sure what that'll be, you know, beyond, uh, you know, some of the goals I have just for the next few years that are primarily business driven, I think. Yeah. You know, staying in touch with my kids as they go through a different chapter here and, and uh, staying connected and staying relevant, I guess. Uh, if I'm really honest. Yeah, yeah, totally. I get that so much. So you had actually been in Minneapolis. And then, of course, the way that medical schools work and training, was it your wife's career that made a move? Well, it was, it was her family. Uh, we we were very, very happy in, in uh, the Twin Cities. There are a lot of, I want to say it's one of the more active Dartmouth alumni clubs in the country. So very, very connected, very happy, great place. But I think that we were, we, you know, my family was in Vermont and her family was in Idaho. And we, we knew that we would do better with uh, kids as they got older, if we were maybe had, had the support of family. And so, um, you know, when it came time, I mean, I love visiting Vermont, but I just didn't really see myself living there. Uh, Idaho at the time and still today, I guess, to some extent felt like a, uh, sort of an exotic destination and uh, <laughs> and so uh, so we so when the opportunity arose for her to find work it was after residency really it was it was the opportunity of where to work and where to build a career we chose to come back this way and by then Sophrona the company that I started was well enough off the ground and kind of been tested out 
long before the pandemic, we were all a virtual company, right? So, ah, okay. so we, we all, we all were used to working from home. So, so it was relatively easy to say, well, I'll just keep doing the same thing and there won't be too many adjustments. So, so that worked out really well. And so we, we've been here since 2008, long time. Yeah. Long time. All right. So long time indeed from when we were in college. Um, so try to cast the mind back to that 20 something Marc Francois. And if you told him, hey, let me show you kind of the trajectory of what this is going to look like. What would he say? What would his reaction be? Well, I think I think I would have been I think it's no I'm, I'm very grateful. and I think it's no small, small thing to stay stay married and be happily married for as long. So I would have, you know, said you did it, you know, you, you, you wanted to, and you did it. So I think, I think I would have sort of given myself that, but I think that, you know, how many kids are like, we weren't, that wasn't, I don't know. For some people, I think there's sort of an idea, are you going to do this? You're going to do that. But no, I didn't think I'd start a business. I didn't think that I'd be successful with it in a small way. I, yeah, I, I think there would have been a lot of surprises. I, I'm guessing most of your guests would answer the same question this way, but but maybe not. <laughs> no, I think exactly. I mean, that is all. It's almost the point of this whole enterprise to say we had no idea what it was going to be like or where we were going to end up. And I feel like some of us did think, though, that we knew, or we were putting our stones in the road so that we would get to that thing. Um, but so many have shown that we can't anticipate kind of where love takes us or opportunity takes us or our children take us or whatever it is. Um, so I think you are a shining example of, I don't exactly know, and I'm going to follow what seems right and make sure those guardrails are there so that I'm not straying into territory that might not be right. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate your sharing the story with us and we can't wait to see where those, you know, well-intentioned guardrails will keep you safe, but maybe we'll see you someplace different in the future. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. That was Mark Francois Bradley, a digital healthcare strategist and manager with extensive experience in innovation, information technology, and development of strategic corporate relationships. For the last decade, he's been founder and CEO of Sophrona, an online patient-physician communication technology and SaaS solution for ophthalmology. He lives with his family in Idaho, racing his bike and appreciating all he has done and will do. We certainly appreciate all the listeners of this podcast, and we will continue to bring you great content this summer, wherever your adventures might take you. Go to wherever you find your podcasts or roadstakingshow.com to join my guests and me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on Roadstaking.